to warm up. Everybody roll your shoulders, crack your neck, glare at the person next to you, tell them to get in the game. Uh, we'll just start with one of our famous Blue Water attitude checks. Uh, how's your attitude? Check. Uh, how, how, how did you come? I, I heard some gasps. It's like, oh dear God, help. Uh, whatever. Uh, did you come, let, I mean, did you come expectantly? Did you come, did you come neutrally? Did you come critically? All right, just check that. Uh, are, you, uh, are you bitter this morning? Are you really angry about something? Liars. Uh, are you upset at someone in a way that's taking your attention this morning? No. This is all decent personal inventory questions to check to see how you're doing. Um, you yourself, you individually, um, might not be the determining factor in the success of this service today. You know, you might not be uh, that important. You might not be the determining factor uh, in uh, our miracle working power. But your attitude is part of it. And our collective attitude together, our, our collective mindset, uh, as Blue Water veterans uh, will know, goes a long way to determine what God can and cannot do this morning. The faith that we bring to the moment is a determinant to what God can do this morning. Now there's a theological tension in there because God, God can do anything, right? That's part of what makes him God. Um, but God set up the world in such a way that he partners with us to get things done. And we've been talking about that a lot in this sermon series. We're in a sermon series from the book of Matthew. We're taking a, a look at stuff Jesus did as opposed to stuff Jesus said or stuff that he taught to people. What are the deeds that Jesus did in the gospel? And we selected the gospel of Matthew as our text for this sermon series. And, and we're seeing Jesus, you know, challenge people. We're seeing Jesus do miracles for people. Uh, week after week as we go through the sermon series. And one topic that has floated to the surface is the topic of faith. Whenever a miracle goes down, it seems that there's some sort of faith element there. A few weeks ago, uh, we saw Jesus heal someone and then say, your faith has healed you, as if he himself had no part in it. But what I think he was saying was that, you know, that attitude, your trust of God, is what empowered this moment and sort of uh, enabled me, permitted me to do the miracle that was on my heart to do. Uh, we've talked in this sermon series about what I call the Eden problem or the Eden lesson. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had no problem believing that God existed because God walked with them and talked with them directly. But they still didn't trust that God would be good. So there's a huge difference between belief and trust. You can believe in God, but do you trust God? And you know that you trust God if you're willing to take a risk on God, you know, because trust is all about risk, you know. You know the flimsy rope bridge is there across the chasm. You believe in it, but you don't trust it until you start walking across, right? 
And so what God is doing in this world is he's trying to provoke trust in us. He wants us to believe that he's good because as the story of Eden proves, if we believe in God but do not trust him to be good to us, things fall apart. We don't do what he says. We don't eat from the tree of life as the Garden of Eden uh, painted it. So in this life, if we want good things to be released from God, if we want miracle working power, if we want advance in the kingdom, trust is the necessary ingredient. God has arranged things in such a way that when we bring him trust, and another word for trust is faith, when we bring him faith, then things click. Now what if we don't bring him faith? Well, that sort of defeats his purpose in our lives, and it sort of gums up the gears. So just as faith can result in miracles, a lack of faith can result in, well, stopping miracles. It can stop the flow of, of the good things that God wants to do. And we have a story about that this morning from Matthew chapter 13. It's just an excerpt. Um, it's kind of a famous passage. It's, it appears in other Gospels as well. Uh, we're uh, a good chunk of the way through the Gospel of Matthew now. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have been meandering around uh, the region, uh, doing a lot of cool ministry, uh, turning a lot of hearts, performing a lot of miracles, and of course Jesus was giving a lot of challenging teachings. And we pick up the story in Matthew 13 as Jesus turns around and starts to head back to what is his hometown. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Some translations will say astonished. Their minds were blown. Uh, here he was, this hometown figure, returning to his hometown, and you would think, wow, you know, homecoming, parades, ribbons, Jesus has become a famous teacher. They're probably very proud of him. <laughs> no. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas with us? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. The language is a little bit stilted, but can you follow the story? Jesus comes back to town. Uh, he has become famous. He is a miracle worker of some reputation. His teachings have started to spread. He's making headlines, in other words. And he comes back to town, and instead of being proud of him, yay, one of our hometown boys is, is made good, they take offense at him. Oh, you think you're so smart. You think you're a miracle worker. Well, look, all of your people are still with us. You know, your mom, your brothers, and your sisters. You're one of us. What makes you think you're better than us? Something like that. Something like that. And they took offense at him. They're feeling, how would you describe that? What? Jealous? Might be jealous. What else? Critical, throw out some other words, come on, SAT words. <laughs> Judgmental, 
cynical. It's a good one. Indignant. That's a great SAT word. Truman scored well on the <laughs> verbal portion of his SAT test. Yeah, maybe, maybe because they're insecure or something. I, I, I don't know exactly what's going on for them, but they took offense at this. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. He, he didn't do many miracles there. Why didn't he do any miracles there? Because of their lack of faith. Uh, Mark 6, which is a different version of this story, puts it more plainly. It says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So it wasn't just that he chose not to do miracles, but their lack of faith handcuffed him. It hampered him. He t couldn't do the big miracles that, that he wanted. Um, Mark says he could at least heal a, a few sick people, uh, but, but that, was, that was about it. Faith environment. When Jesus comes into an environment that has high faith, he can do lots of good things, even miracles. When Jesus comes into an environment that is low faith, characterized by, I don't know, uh, jealousy, judgmentalism, uh, a critical spirit, indignation, offense, whatever it is, when he comes into that kind of an environment, Jesus himself is handcuffed. If there was anybody in scripture who had perfect faith, who is it? I'm going with Jesus. But even Jesus, when he walks into a room with a lot of people who don't have faith, is hamstrung. He can't do the sort of cool stuff he normally could do. And it tells you that faith is an environmental factor. It tells you how important it is to have not just one person of faith, but an atmosphere of faith if you want to do really big kingdom things. If you really want to bring the order of heaven to earth, you got to have faith for it. Um, Otherwise, you're, you're stuck in the, mo in the mud. These are people that by rights perhaps should be very fond of Jesus, should root for him, but they have found a way to not root for him. They have found a way to root against him. And people do that. People do that. All sorts of human emotions that get in the way of sensible faith. Think of a miracle-working hero is coming back to your hometown. You probably got sick people. It's probably in your interest to see them healed, right? Like, if you just pause for a moment, you probably think, I want to see miracles, you know, because they're, they're like miracles from Jesus, never bad. But humans are messed up, man. And we're really good at finding ways to opt out of faith. We're really good. And these guys found a way to root against the purposes of Christ. They took offense at him. Was, they decided to kind of go with, uh, well, what, does he think he's better than us? That's what they went with on that day. Uh, that was not a good move. So turn to the person next to you and say, not a good move. So the implication of the story is that, that even Jesus is limited by people's attitude. You know, if they have a faith attitude, great. If they have a doubt attitude or a critical attitude or a cynical attitude, 
bad. We read that story recently where Jesus said to the woman who got healed, your faith has healed you. That's what I'm looking for. That's what Father God is looking for on planet Earth right there. And here he's like, oh man, I'm just shocked that you guys couldn't even give me a little faith. You know, so he calls it out. And, and that's really sobering. Their cynicism prevented miracles. Um, Jesus is, is uh, traveling with his disciples. Uh, we see a little, little before this story starts. So he brings a team with him. And all of his disciples, the 12 apostles at this point, who are his chief lieutenants, they had performed miracles themselves in his name. But even their team of people could not overcome the negative faith environment uh, in the hometown. Uh, That too sobers me a great deal. And it tells me as a minister of the kingdom that the first step toward doing kingdom things in any environment is to pastor the attitude in that environment. If I want to do a miracle here this morning, the first thing I need to do is to get everybody's attitude into the faith space. I need faith attitude from all of you, right? Which is why I checked at the beginning of the sermon. How are we doing? We got, we got a lot of faith? Or did you, I don't know, drag in late and grumpy? No, no, not you guys, not you guys. That would never happen, you know? There are all sorts of reasons that a person might drag in late and grumpy Sunday morning. But here's an effect that you might not consider. It affects the faith environment in the room. And that has serious kingdom repercussions. Because there might be someone here today that desperately needs a miracle, and you've just made it harder for us to pull it off. Ooh, that's a lot of responsibility. I'll give you eight seconds to feel guilty. Go. After that, we'll go back to grace, but just eight seconds of abject guilt. All right, that's about enough of that. That's about enough of that. Shake it off. Shake it off. Because you're here, and attitude can spin on a dime. Thank you for the faith that you bring to what we do week in and week out, um, because Blue Water is, is great that way. Faith is powerful. But here's a really twisted corollary. Uh, to this story. Um, and I, I think it's probably why it features in the Gospels uh, the way that it does. Here's, here's the twisted corollary. Cynicism is powerful. And cynical people are powerful people. Cynical people are powerful people. You know? And that's awesome if you want to feel powerful. Because I think it's really easy to be a cynic. It's a shortcut to being an incredibly influential human being. Give somebody a high five. Yeah, cynical people are truly powerful people. Let's consider this. Just by being cynical and a little bit bitter, you can stop Jesus in his tracks. That's awesome. That's awesome. You're cynical of Satan. He's inverted the lesson and found the golden lining, silver lining. To be a cynical person, right, is easy. All we have to do to be a cynical person and to be really influential and powerful is to find some reason to get offended. 
I can do that like falling out of bed. I can sometimes get offended before I get out of bed. I can imagine all sorts of reasons to get offended. Some of you have gotten offended by me already this morning, am I right? Let's hear an amen, come on. Yeah, it's easy to come up with reasons to get offended. Oh, you know, you don't come to church, you're not gonna get offended at God necessarily, but you're gonna get offended at Antonio. You know, I work with him every day. I feel your pain, right? This is easy to do. This is easy. Um, all we have to do is, is you know, we're going we're gonna to do something big. We're going to do something miraculous. To be a powerful cynic, all you have to do is to point out some reason that it might not work. And we can always imagine reasons that things might not work. You know, there's always that cautionary person in the room, right? And they say something cautionary, and it makes them sound wise, and they sort of color the atmosphere in so doing, and they become influential, and they start to feel good about themselves, right? They start to feel powerful, and being powerful makes you feel safe. It gives you an identity. A lot of people have the identity, well, I'm not going to be fooled. I'm a grown-up. Right? It's easy to go there, and it works. I mean, it truly works because it makes you a genuinely influential people. It doesn't make you a constructive person. You know, you're not going to build anything good out of cynicism. But dang, if you can't tear things down like nobody's business. And that's refreshing when you're having a bad day. You know? Am I right? You know I'm right. It's awesome. When you feel insecure in life, well, get bitter. That fortifies you for a while. It truly does. That's why we do it. And we all do it. We do it because it works for a while. We're not going to build anything out of it, but but it's going to get us through the day or the week or a bad season, right? And after all, Antonio is bothersome. You know? Your husband is kind of a jerk. Let's not even talk about your coworkers. Oh, you know? are the people on the H1, right? I mean, there is truth. I belabor the point, but, but it's a true one. Being cynical is powerful and easy. Being filled with faith is powerful and not so easy. So which one are you going to choose? You know? Uh, and which one are you going to choose habitually? Because it's your habits that make you the person that you are. You know, are you going to stop the works of Christ or are you going to, you know, be, be a miracle worker? Um, and that's a question that we all faith, 
face. And, and Jesus points out that here in this story that, hey man, the lack of faith is, is about as powerful as, as the presence of faith. You know, you can stop the work of God or you can promote the work of God. And, and being cynical is a rush, man. It's a rush. I get it. Being filled with faith, well, that's a rush too. But it can be a trial. It can take more out of you uh, in a way. Um, so, I don't know, it's, that's, it's very real. And there, there's a choice to it. There's a choice to it. Being cynical is so powerful that it can be addictive. In this world, I know faith isn't, isn't addictive in the same way. It seems that faith always takes a little bit of work. It always takes a, a little bit of self-talk and, and challenge. Uh, years ago, uh, when I was uh, a young uh, budding minister in, in a church, I was, I was just a Christian. I wasn't a, like, you know, a professional minister or anything. I was hanging out in, in some churches that I felt should be doing more miracles, like literal miracles. Like, hey, you know, we preach the gospel, we preach the kingdom, we preach these Jesus stories. We should probably, I don't know, trying to heal people. And somebody said to me, well, you do it then. And I'm like, well, okay. Uh, I don't know if it was faith or defiance, but I started calling healing services. I'm going to heal a bunch of people, show up. And, uh, and then immediately I... I uh, I faced that temptation, you know, to get scared. It's like, I'm pretty sure while this might work, it's not going to work perfectly. Uh, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be some negative fallout. I'm pretty sure that people are cynical about me right away. In fact, truth be told, I'm a little cynical about me right now. Uh, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just feel like this should be done. Have you ever been that way? It's like, uh, I'm pretty sure this needs to be done. I'm not sure I'm the best person to do it. I'm just the person who happens to be here. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to give it a shot. And I remember just distinctly the afternoon where I plopped down on the couch and I thought this through. And what I did, uh, as I often did at that stage in my life, is that I drew upon my athletic background. Um, I mean, you can't tell by looking at me. I used to be athletic. I used to play football and stuff like that. And I remember before the games, if you're a football player anyway, before the games, you all sit in the locker room and you get psyched up. I don't know what they call it. What do the kids call it these days? Psyched up? Hyped. You get hyped. You get hyped. We had this one kid, Randy, who before the game would take off his helmet and smash his head into the locker. He dented one so badly once the door had to be replaced and the coach made him stop doing it. He was an awesome defensive tackle. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You would get, you would get hyped. And I remember Coach Baker screaming at the team, and he would say, um, gentlemen, get your game on. Get your game on. And, and I, I opened my mouth, and I literally say that to me. He said, Jordan, get your faith on. Get your faith on. And I've been saying that to our healing teams ever since. Like, if I have trained you in supernatural ministry or healing ministry, I always say, hey, get your faith on. Get your, take a moment. Put on your helmet. Buckle your chin straps. We're going to war. That was another thing Coach Baker used to say. Get your faith on. You know, you have a choice in this. Uh, because if you go out there, like, you're going to play the game. Some of you are going to do well. Some of you are going to get hurt in a violent game like football. But if you don't have faith... 
you're not even going to play well, right? You, you can't get into the game if you believe that things are going to go poorly for you. So get your faith on, and after that, come what may. So get your faith on. That's become, that's a personal proverb of mine ever since then. You got your faith on this morning? Do you put your faith on every day? Do you put your faith on when you wake up in the morning? I think that's the best sort of habit. I should say that I think there's a difference between cynicism and doubt. You know, there's such a thing as honest doubt that I think is really constructive. Cynicism is an attitude, and doubt is just a condition. You know, it's just a condition of uncertainty. And very often, we can't even help being uncertain, saying, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems unreasonable to me. You know, that, that can be a very honest place to be. Cynicism is when you use that doubt for power. Right? So there's a difference between doubt and the attitude of doubt, or, the, or cynicism, uh, as, as you might call it. Doubt, not necessarily bad. It depends what you do with it. Does doubt drive you forward into more investigation and exploration? Or does doubt, you know, empower you toward bitterness and unforgiveness and criticism and, and stuff like that? I note that in this story, it says, they took offense at him. Right? So that was attitudinal. They took, if they had doubt, they took it into a nasty place. I would say, you know, at least they would have been like, wow, you're a miracle worker? I never would have seen that. You were growing up, working next to your dad, building fences and stuff like that. I didn't look at you and think, big-time miracle-working dude. I never saw even a flash of that as you were growing up. Show me what you got. At least that's openness, right? At least that's not the spirit of offense. But we humans tend to take it to a, a nasty place. I love doubt. I love when people ask me honest questions. We love seekers at Blue Water. We, we love people who come just to investigate and to explore because every good journey starts with an open question. Every good journey starts with seeking, right? But here's some advice that the Gospels would give you on your journey. It's like, well, try a little faith and see what happens. You know, jump in and see what happens. That's much better than cynicism. Openness much more powerful, well, I should say much more constructive than cynicism. That seems to be the direction that, that, this is, that this is going. They took offense at him. That's a bad use of doubt right there. I would say, having traveled with the Lord for some decades now, I also am not a millennial. 90% of the time, Satan destroys faith, faith by giving us a relational excuse to opt out of faith. I would say that's his number one technique. Um, I've seen it a hundred times in churches, a hundred times. So something good is happening in a church, a ministry is growing, lives are getting changed, and then one leader will get miffed at another leader. And then suddenly that becomes the issue. That becomes the issue. Or it happens generally in churches, like, well, this is a good church, you know, but so-and-so, I, I don't think they like me. And then what that does is it sort of erodes your attitude from the side. 
you know. Uh, he doesn't have to convince you to stop trusting God. Satan doesn't have to convince you to stop trusting God because, you know, you'd never do that. You'd never choose to stop trusting God. He just have to convince you that this is the wrong situation for you to trust God because, you know, Antonio's involved. Or this is the wrong place to trust God because, you know, the, the volume isn't right during the worship music. Um, and it's hard for you. And church should be easy for you. Um, or this is the wrong people with whom to trust God because they don't really get me here. You know? And I don't, I don't really feel like they're my tribe. You know what I mean? And that's important. And all of these issues indeed might have small bits of legitimacy to them. But what they do is that they take you out of the game right? They take you out of the faith game. So you're not choosing against faith. You're just choosing, you're not choosing for faith. You know what I mean? They just erode your attitude slightly, and then you come to church. You don't have your faith on. What God can do in our midst is not as much as he could do otherwise, and gradually we become blunted and and less powerful. And then after several cycles of that, maybe in different churches, you just get tired of faith generally because nothing ever happens. That's how he does it. Does that sound familiar? I, don't know, I know not you, but maybe you've seen that happen to people. You know, certainly not you because you're too smart. That's how Satan wins. That's how he wins. You get offended at Antonio. That's basically it. Yeah, yeah. He'll forgive me later. <laughs> and if, if, if it works out, if it works out well, you know, you're allowing Jesus to do just enough, you know, just do a few healing miracles in your midst, you know, as he could in his hometown, but not enough for anything to really take root. And I think that's where most believers get trapped. You know, just kind of enough faith to let God do a few positive things, but never so much faith where you feel at risk or vulnerable, you know, not great faith. And then gradually, that's just not enough to sustain you anymore. You fall away. Anyway, I don't mean to be glum, but I think that's mostly how it works. You know, Satan never fights a head-on battle. He always comes from the side. He's an ambusher. He's a distractor, a delayer. He's not a defeater. And he wants to distract you from the true causes of faith uh, with issues of offense, things like that. All right, so what does this all mean? Let's get to the point. I think it's pretty clear. Uh, attitude is the, is the first thing uh, if we want to promote the works of God in the world. You have to do the attitude check first. You know, you have to check your mindset. You know, is your mind set in faith? Or is your mind distracted by a lot of things? Are you being powerful with faith? Or are you being powerful with cynicism? The thing about a mindset is I think you really have to set your mind. That's up to you guys. That's a choice that we make every day. Uh, I'm terrible um, in my attitude unless I make a point to be good in my attitude. Like, naturally, I always careen into depression and darkness. That's just kind of where, I don't know, 
my biochemistry takes me or something. I'm, I'm, I'm naturally, I, this might shock you, but I'm not naturally an upbeat, bubbly person. Um, um, so, even on my best day, I'm not actually a bubbly person. Um, that's, that's not the goal. But, but what I'd have to do is to check my natural tendencies and say, well, what do I want to really accomplish attitudinally today? What, what do I want to happen in my mind today? You could say in your heart, if you're more of a heart person, in your interior. What do you want to happen in your interior today? And that needs to be the first thing. That needs to be the first thing when you walk into church. That needs to be the first thing when you walk into your workplace or your campus or whatever it is for you. What do I want to do in my interior today? Uh, what do I want to make me powerful? Faith or cynicism? For some reason, whenever I think about the attitude of faith, I think about a bat. It's a particular bat. You guys, you've seen bats? How many of you like bats? Bat fans. Um, and, and here's the story. It, I, it was, I think it's something that the Lord did in my life, uh, just as an illustration and as a proverb I was always going to remember. Uh, Sony and I were living in Boston. Um, and I was about 30 years old at the time, 31. Uh, we were asleep in the middle of the night. And I woke up. It was pitch black. Um, there was a, it was a cloudy winter, no moon, no stars. We had a dark house, an old house. It was pitch black when I woke up. I couldn't see a thing. But I woke up because I had felt a presence in the room. Have you ever done that? Have you ever like woken up and it's like, somebody's here, right? And I woke up and I just knew it in a way that I didn't doubt. There is a presence in this room. And I just got up and I started walking around the house. It's just a really dark night. And I could just feel something moving around. Um, and uh, I, I think I started praying quietly. And then eventually I flicked on a light. And what I saw was a bat flying around the house. A little tiny bat. It's about four ounces, four inch wingspan. A little tiny thing flying around. I was like, oh. What happened was a bat came down the chimney, probably because it was warmer in the house than outside, and gotten stuck in the house and was flying around. And so I thought, well, you know, I got to rescue this bat. So I started trying to catch a bat. Very hard, <laughs> uh, as it turned out. And so then I opened a door and I got a broom and I started trying to shepherd the bat out the open door, you know, like you do with birds that get caught in the supermarket, you know, you see them turn off the lights and open the doors. They go, bats don't operate by light, they operate by sonar, so it's really, really hard. About that time, Sonia woke up and was like, what are you doing? There's a bat in here? You're crazy. I eventually uh, cornered this bat on top of the refrigerator, which was set into a recess in our wall, and it got stuck back there, it couldn't go anywhere. And it turned around, and here's this big guy, he's 6'2", I was heavier then, with a broom. And this bat turned around and looked at me and screamed. <laughs> Just sort of edged up to the, to the edge of the refrigerator, looked at me and went, ah! You know, bats do, really high. Just like, and I froze in my tracks. 
And I literally to this day, I am telling you, I remember the expression on the bat's face. You know, a little bat face is about, you know, about a nickel in diameter, you know, a little tiny thing. And we just, we're just glaring at each other, you know, 6'2", about 190 then, staring right at the bat, you know, it's like one inch tall, four ounces, and just screaming at me in defiance. And I teared up. I said, that is the best faith I have ever seen in my life. I, I just started talking to the bat. I said, man, I love you. Right? I mean, do you get it? It's like, that is an awesome attitude. You know, please God, I go through life with that kind of attitude. You know, and then I tried to make peace with the bat. Hey, man, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just like, get on the broom, buddy, you know. And then a short while later, I got the bat out of the house. And I went back to bed. All right, long, crazy illustration, strange way to end a sermon. But here's the point. Right? However small I feel in life, I want to be the sort of creature that brings such presence that everybody in the house feels me. You know? I want to bring the sort of presence that wakes the dead. You know? And to me, that's one of the most astonishing things about the story. I just knew there was a presence in the house. You know? It ended up being a tiny little bat. And then, of course, I want to have the sort of faith that would just shout at a giant with a weapon. It's like, come on! You want a piece of this? You know, I got no chance. But maybe with faith, a miracle can happen. All right, so that's life. And that's the sort of life that we're trying to do here in the kingdom of God as we, as we follow Jesus. Um, there is a temptation, and I think the reason the story is there is because you recognize that cynicism is as powerful in a way. That you can stop Jesus in his tracks. You can do it. He has given you that privilege. Ah, just don't go there would be my advice, though. I mean, you can do it. You can do it. You can use doubt as a security blanket. You can use it to make you feel safe. It works. It seriously works. Just not forever. So now you know. Now you know there's a choice. Okay? There's a choice. And that's part of what makes us human. That's part of what, of what we're doing. Um, so let's just talk to God about that. Father, I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit... Uh, into the house this morning. Um, you would come into the hometown in our hearts. How do we greet you? Holy Spirit, as our, <clears throat> as our guide, I pray that you would point to things that distract us, to little compromises, little judgments, little offenses, that erode our faith from the side. Things that keep us from getting our faith on.